Rambam, Hilchais Macholis Asuris, winding down the laws of forbidden foods, Pedak Shisha Osur, Chapter 16. We learned earlier that various forbidden and prohibited foods have various ratios of mixture where they can sometimes become permitted. So now he says here in this very important rule, Aleph 1, Kol Hashiyurimoelo, you must be in mi- you must bear in mind <coughs> that all of the above mentioned measurements, 60 to 1, 100 to 1, 200 to 1. Shenos Nuchachom, in which our sages established, Ledobar Ha'osr, for a forbidden entity, which became mixed in the same type of food, which is a permissible entity, so that if some flour fell into a lot of flour, that is provided that the forbidden object does not contain or is not a leavening agent. For example, in our world, there's something called yeast. Yeast is a leavening agent. You put it into dough and it causes the dough to rise. Which means it's very powerful and it affects the whole dough. It's not easy for something that is that powerful to become nullified. A metabel or something very spicy, a spice brings taste. You need a little bit of a spice for a big dish. A or, so we have yeast, we have spice, or alternatively, dabar choshev, something very distinguished and important on its own. Shehu emet shehu, which has a standing on its own, it's an important food. And therefore, will not be mixed and will not become just part of a general dish with something permissible. Avol, however, if it did cause leavening to come about, if it was a yeast-like product, a metabolord was a spice-like product, a dobar chashiv, or an important substance, which we will define as we go on, eser bechol shahu. Even a little bit of it brings about prohibition because it is so dynamic. Beis, Ketzad, how does that work? For example, Se'er Shalchitin, Shaltruma, if you have yeast, which is from wheat of Truma, Truma is a food forbidden to an Israelite, only a Kohen can eat Truma. Here you have wheat, yeast. Shanof Aleseich Isas, Chitin Shalchulun, which fell into a dough of, again, a wheat-based dough of everyday food. The word chulin comes from the word chol, weekday, profane, regular. 
and this yeast has this leavening agent. Is this leavening agent? It's a living yeast. Now, this dough becomes just mixed with truma, and it's one big mess. It's one big mixture. So, no matter how small it is, it can't become nullified. And so also, spices of truma, Shanoflu, which fell into into a pot of regular food. And these spices are active, potent spices. And they are a similar species of the regular food, so they're not recognizable. The whole thing becomes one big mishmash, becomes one big mix up. Even though the yeast. Or the spices, Echad Me'elef, is not only one of 60, one of 100, one of 200, it's one of 1,000. Because it is a potent agent which causes leavening or spices, or, or a food to become spicy or what have you. You don't need a lot of spices to spice something up. And so also, Se'er leavening shall klai hakerem of klai hakerem. We learned earlier that klai hakerem is the mixture of wheat kernels planted in a vineyard forbidden by the Torah. Putting it into a dough. Or another example we learned earlier of a prohibition. The first three years of a tree is called Orla, forbidden. And if you recall, these two particular prohibitions of Kloi HaKerem and Orla, the ratio established for them was a greater ratio. It was 200 to 1. And we learned earlier that Ambam himself said, why 200? Because they are also forbidden to benefit from. So therefore it goes up from 60 or 100 to 200. In this case, they have leavening or spicing agents. Hakel the whole thing becomes forbidden because of the potency of the Klaya Hakerem or the potency of the Orla. So here we have examples of yeast, examples of spice. Gimel 3, Dabar Choshev, what about an example of an important entity, Shu'eser b'minei b'chol shehu, which causes, when it falls into a mixture of its own type, to, forbidden, to become forbidden, even a little bit. So the Rambam enumerates, this goes back to the Mishnah, Shiva Dvorim, seven entities, which back then, these were important entities. Today, we can't really relate to this so much. I mean, today, we have our own important entities. The Eluhain and the following are these entities. Egeze Perach. Nuts, which come from Perach. Perach is Nepakoima. Verimene Baden, or pomegranates that come from Baden. 
That's near Montana. Vechovius stumis, or sealed barrels. Vechilfes terodin, beet shoots. Vechilche kruv, cabbage heads. Udlas yevonis, Greek squash. Vechikore shel balabayas, and loaves baked by a private person. Like somebody says, this is not a bakery bought challah. This is homemade. Oh, it's homemade. So these are examples of seven items that in their culture are so important that when they fall into similar looking and tasting items, they can't become nullified because they maintain a distinguished aspect to them. Dalit, how does this work? One pomegranate from the baden pomegranates we just listed above. Shaya Orla, which was Orla. What did we learn earlier? Orla is 200 to 1. Even if this one pomegranate became mixed with not 200, but with 2,000 other pomegranates with a truckload. The whole truckload becomes forbidden to benefit from all these pomegranates. So also a sealed barrel of wine of Orla. What's Orla? Of the first three years of the vineyard. Or the mixture of grain and vine. Which became mixed, in thousands of other sealed barrels, but they all look the same. Being that these are special, unique, prominent, even though right now they don't look special, they don't look unique, and they don't look prominent, the proof is you have no idea which ones they are, but still it causes everything to become forbidden for benefit. The Rambam gave you an example of the mechanism of the pomegranate from Baden or the barrel. The same goes for the rest of the list of seven. Along the same lines, hey, a piece of meat from an animal that died on its own. We know that an animal, and that is the next section that's coming up, are the laws of ritual slaughter. The laws of Shechita. An animal that is just dies without Shechita is called an Avela, a dead carcass. It's not kosher. Oy shalbosar behema, or meat of an animal, oy chaya, or a wild animal, like a deer, oy eif, or fowl, a dog, or meat, or, or fish, hatmeim, which are not kosher species. So when I say a chaya is like a deer, a deer is a kosher species. Let's talk about a tiger. So you had this piece of non-kosher meat, either because it was not ritually slaughtered if it's the right species, or it comes from the wrong species, it comes from a non-kosher animal, and it became mixed, and we have no idea which piece it is. In thousands of pieces of meat, Hakel Osir, all of the thousands of pieces of meat become forbidden, until if you have the ability to remove that piece. Now he says this refers to a situation where the forbidden piece of meat was cooked with the other pieces of meat. 
V'yachakach yishayir hashar b'shishim. And then the balance, you can go 60 to 1, as we learned earlier. Because if he didn't remove that piece, then the forbidden thing is there, and it didn't change. And it has prominence. Why does it have prominence? And here is a rule, which I remember from my yeshiva days, learning to become ordained. This is called Chaticha it's a portion fit to honor someone and serve them. When you want to honor someone, you give them a portion, like the Jackie Mason line. You call this a portion for a person like me? This is a portion for a person like me. It's a chosher portion. Therefore, something that is prominent enough for you to serve your guest. It's not so easy for that prominent item to be nullified. And that's why we got a problem. And again, the mechanism of how it works and what, and it's very complicated, but we're learning the general rule here. Love, the same law applies, with a piece of meat that was cooked with milk, which is forbidden to be, to benefit from, we learned. Basar b'cholov is also b'ano. Forbidden for benefit. And here you have this piece which is Boston Bacholo. It's a nice portion. Or it was just everyday meat. But it was slaughtered in the temple courtyard, which takes on the sanctity of a sacrifice. Forbidden to have derive any benefit from as we explain in the rules of ritual slaughter so you have the example of these items which are forbidden to benefit from even a little tiny bit prohibits anything it falls into until you can remove it so for example if you have a piece of forbidden substance that falls into a pot, you remove that piece, then you deal with the mixture, 60 to 1, or 200 to 1, or what have you. But until you can identify that piece, you got a problem. So also the forbidden sinew of the nerve of Gidanosha, we learned about earlier, which was cooked with other sinews, or other meat, if he recognized it, he says, oh, this is the prohibited Gidan Magbiya, he picks it up, takes it out, and the rest is permissible. Why is the rest permissible? Why don't we need to do a 60 to 1 or a 200 to 1 deal? In the case of regular non-kosher, it's 60 to 1. We learned earlier, She'ein bagidim b'neisin tam. Because sinews, nerves, don't give taste. Because they're like bone. They're like dead. That is if you recognize the sciatic nerve. The forbidden sciatic nerve. If he can't recognize it, it's all forbidden. Why? Because halacha gives distinction to a sciatic nerve. Because it's an entity. Therefore, it has prominence. Another example of a prominent object which cannot become nullified. Another example. 
of prominence. Zion, seven, any living thing, a living animal, rodent, whatever it is, they're important. You can't nullify a living animal. Therefore, an example, in certain cases, an ox has to be stoned because it kills somebody or it engages in forbidden activity. What if this ox designated to be killed by stoning is put away in a pen, but then something happens. There was a delivery of a truck of oxen. Shenisara be'el of it became mixed with a thousand other oxen. So you have this sheir anisko, this ox that must be destroyed by Torah law. And now, as my mother of blessed memory used to say, trubaterk, that is a, a, an interesting Yiddish expression, trubaterk, it means go chase a Greek, go, go chase a Turk. I guess those were the times when the Turks were attacking. Gay trubaterk, go chase a Turk. Go find this ox. Which one is, you know, do you need ID bracelets on the oxen? Or the Egla Rufa, or the calf, whose neck is broken with the ritual of Egla Rufa, which is in Deuteronomy. So you have it set aside. This is the Egla Rufa, and suddenly you got a lot of calves. He puts it into calves are us. Or the leprous bird, the bird of the leper, it says the leper has a ritual, not that the bird is leprous. The leper has a ritual, he has to take a bird, and this and that, so his bird got mixed, the elef supported with a thousand other birds. Hey, peter chameir be'elef chameirim, or the sheep that you use to redeem a firstborn donkey became mixed up with a lot of sheep, and who knows, which sheep it is? Kulon asurin bano. They are all forbidden to have benefit from. That's a massive casualty. Why? Because they're living. But other things. Even though they are counted. They are nullified in their ratio given above. Ketzad, for example, which ones do become nullified? A bundle of vegetables from the mixed wheat, grain, and from the mixed grain and, and, and vine field. Remember we learned Klayahakerem's ratio is one to two hundred. Was mixed with two hundred bunches of similar vegetables. A esrik shal orla, or a beautiful esrik, but it was of the orla tree. It was not yet three years. So it's forbidden. Shenisara b'masayim esrogim, which is now mixed into 200 esrogim. Imagine, you have an esrog dealer. He has 200 esrogim, and somebody dropped an orla esrog, and he has no idea which one it is. Hakel muter, they're all permissible, because they're not living. So thank God the asterisk dealer doesn't lose all of his asterisk. So this is an example of something that's sold by number. The guy says, give me three asterisk. And does become nullified in the proper ratio in the case of Orla 200 to 1. 
Tes Yeroeli, it appears to me, Shekol Dabar Shuchashavet Sabnei Mokem, Minamakemus, that anything that has prominence locally in any particular locale, Again, for example, Egeze Perech, like the nuts from Perach, or Imene Baden, or the pomegranates from Baden, Be'eretz Yisrael, Be'esen Azmanim, they had prominence back then in Israel. What's back then? In Mishnaic and Talmudic times, the Rambam is saying, in our time, it may not have such prominence, but in Mishnaic and Talmudic times, these were very prominent. Shu'esa Bechol Shu'hu, which causes everything it gets mixed into of the similar type to become forbidden even when it's a tiny bit in a lot because in that place and in that time they're important and the reason they're mentioned is because they bring about the prohibition everywhere and the same applies to anything similar in other places one thing is clear, that all of this venue of prohibitions, these are all rabbinic. Because according to Torah law, any substance mixed with a substance of the same time is always permitted if there is a majority. What if one pomegranate from the mixture of pomegranates, which we said forbids everything. Remember we said you can have a thousand pomegranates, one falls in. Everything is forbidden. So now you take one of those pomegranates and they fall into a mixture of two other pomegranates of Rimeine Baden, of similar. And then of the three, one pomegranate fell into other pomegranates. The last one is permissible. Because the pomegranate of the first mixture has become nullified, has become nullified in majority. Going back to the earlier first mixture, if a pomegranate fell into a thousand, they're all forbidden. Because the nullification of majority only works when there's a doubt within a doubt. Because once you have a second mixture, you say it could be that the one I took out of the first mixture is not the one. If the one I took out of the first mixture is, is the one, maybe the one out of the second mixture is not the one. That's called a spec speaker, a double doubt. It is not forbidden. So when you have the double doubt, you boil it down to majority, and majority causes nullification. What if these nuts were cracked? They became forbidden because of the Orla. Now they're all cracked. Or the pomegranates were taken apart, the barrels were opened, the squash was cut, or the bread was sliced. So now they don't have that unique whole W-H-O-L-E look. 
הרי אלו יעלו באחד המסעים. These will now become nullified in their regular ratio. In the case of Orla and Klai HaKerem, 200 to 1. Who had in Lachatichas Nevela? Shenidecha Bechol HaChatichas. The same thing applies with a piece of meat that came from an animal that died on its own. That became chopped, cut together, minced meat with all the pieces. And it all becomes one big chopped meat, hakfleish. You have the 60 to 1 rule, which is the rule of meat, of nevela. So therefore, I, it looks like we have a solution. Just take it and cut it up. We also lift sayahagazim, but it's forbidden to crack the nuts, and to open the pomegranates, and to crack open the barrels, once they've been declared forbidden, in order that this ratio process should be able to work. Why is it forbidden? It seems so easy, and the answer is a rule, an axiom. She'ein mevatlin isur lechatchila. To begin with, we may not intentionally and wantonly bring about the nullification of a prohibition. Vimasakein, and if somebody intentionally or wantonly does that, kein sinaisa he is penalized. Ve'eisinolaven, it's forbidden for him to use it. Kamesha biano, as we explained earlier, and we did explain this earlier, chapter fifteen, halacha twenty-five. Yud Gimel Se'er Shel Klai HaKerem Yeast from the mixture of grain and vine Vishel Trumo Yeast of the mixture of Trumo Shanafu Techa which fell into a dough and we said that yeast is a powerful agent cannot be nullified here we're talking about a little piece of yeast from the mixed vineyard, a little piece of yeast from Truma. There wasn't enough in either one of them to bring about leavening in a dough. But when you combine both yeasts, when they're combined, now you will have enough yeast to bring about a souring, a leavening process, that dough now will be forbidden to Israelites, permissible to Kohanim. Why? Because it has truma. So also tevel, which means food, produce from which truma was not taken, which fell into the pot, and neither of them, I'm sorry, I, I said that wrong, I'm going to go back. Spices of Truma, which both together fell into the pot. You have a mixture of spice of Truma and but there wasn't enough spice in order to affect the pot. In either one of them alone, you needed both. Then that pot is forbidden to a Jew. 
lohem kibla, because that which was forbidden to them made it spicy, but it is permissible to the Kohen. Spices, which have two or three names, but they're all from the same species. Or three kinds of one spice, one name, which means they're similar spices. They all combine to spice, for lesser and to forbid. It's the same goes for leavening. Ketzad, how does this work? If you have yeast, which is wheat-based, and yeast, which is barley-based, hail v'shem se'erechad, who being that they're both called yeast, enon kemin v'shem amin, is not like a, something that falls into something that's not its kind, ela harehen kemin echad, but they're considered the same kind. And they combine for the nullification ratio, in order to make the dough of wheat become leavened. If they both had the taste of wheat, or they could cause leavening to come about in a dough of barley, if they both tasted like barley, but if they had different tastes, that's a different rule. What do we mean when we talk about three names of spices from one species? For example, you have the word karpas, which he translates here as parsley. You have karpas shall nores, parsley which grows in the meadows. The karpas shall offer, and parsley that grows. I'm sorry. Karpas shall nourish river parsley, the karpas shall afor, and meadow parsley, the karpas shall gino, and garden parsley. Even though this is river parsley, this is meadow parsley, this is garden parsley, garden parsley, because they're all parsley, it's start from the table, they can all bring about whatever spicing parsley brings about. Kezayin, Isa, Michomet says, when dough is already leavened, it's already been leavened, and then there falls into it a leavening agent of truma, or a leavening agent of klayakerem. The pot has already been sufficiently spiced. When there falls into it, spices of truma or lower kloyakerem, but the pot has already been spiced sufficiently. If the leavening has enough to bring about a leavening process, if it was a piece of matzah unleavened bread, if there was enough spices where it could spice the dish if it was bland, then if the leaven has enough leavening to bring about a leavening in a non-leavened product, <coughs> if the spices has enough spice in order to bring about a spicing of a non-spiced product, also it's all forbidden. But if it doesn't have enough to bring about a spicing when something needs it, or a leavening when something needs it, then you go back to the regular ratio. Truma, we know, is truma is 
100 to 1, or Len Kedem are 200 to 1, Bechadu Masayim. We learned the reasons for that in the last chapter. Yudzayin Atrumo, Mailas Orlevas Klayakadam. Here the Rambam goes to teach us a very interesting exercise. For those who enjoy fascinating intellectual exercises, have a good time and knock yourself out. Truma can cause something to nullify, can cause a batch of produce to nullify orla and klayakerem, which means you can use truma food, which is forbidden for a regular person, to help you come up to the ratio of 200, of 200 to 1. Ketzad, how would this work? So he gives you the following scenario. So truma, a measure of truma, which fell into 99 measures of everyday food. So now you had truma, 99 to 1. And afterwards, there falls into this mixture a half of saw of orla, or a half of soft kloyakerem. So what happened here is, first you had regular food, 99 measures. Let's say in our case, 99 gallons of regular food. You had a gallon of truma. 99 plus 1 is 100. Then, into this 100 saw, fell a half a saw of Orla or Kloyakerem. A half to 100 is 200 to 1. Or is a half to 100 is 1 to 200. Ein kan iso Orla Kloyakerem. The fact that you had 100, including the truma, caused you to avoid the Orla and Klaya Kerem, making the whole food forbidden. Shari Ola because with the Truma, a half a saw to a hundred is the ratio of two hundred to one. Now, you may ask a question, wait a minute, part of that ratio is Truma, because you have a saw of Truma, doesn't matter. Truma can be part of the nullifying ratio. Similarly, Yudches 18, it works the, op the opposite, that Orla and Truma helps nullify the Truma in its appropriate ratio. Remember, what's the ratio of Orla and Kloyakerem? 200 to 1. What's the ratio of Truma? 100 to 1. We learned that earlier. And again, in the beginning of this chapter, I explained why. The answer is because Kloya HaKerem and Orla are also forbidden to benefit from. Therefore, our sages made the ratio higher. Ketzad, how would this scenario work? Meyo saw shal Orla, a hundred saw, which is a measure of Orla. There's a hundred saw of Orla. Eshel Kloya HaKerem. Which fell into 20,000 saw of chulun. So you have your 200 to 1. 
It all becomes 200 to 1. And then afterwards, for every 100 saw, a soft truma comes in. It's all permissible because for truma, you need 100 to 1. So every time a saw fell into 100, you had your 100 to 1, nullifies the truma. And cause the truma to be nullified with a hundred to one. Even though amazing, part of the nullification process is done through the forbidden foods of Orla and Kloyakerim. It doesn't matter. Similarly speaking, Orla Mailas Kloyakerim. Orla food. Elevates Klayakerem, the Klayakerem is Orla, and vice versa. The Klayakerem is Klayakerem. Klayakerem itself can nullify Klayakerem, but Orla is Orla. Orla itself can nullify Orla. Ketzad. And again, this is part of this intellectual exercise to show you how the forbidden foods can act as part of the majority ratio. Masayim saw Shal Orla, 200 saw of Orla, or 200 saw of Klayakerem, Shenafla, which fell into. Arboim elef chulin, 40,000 chulin. Yachakach nof alachal masayim saw. Saw shal orla, and then afterwards, every 200 saw had a saw of orla fall in, so you have the 200 to 1 ratio. Because being that you nullified the earlier prohibition, it all becomes permissible and you can further nullify. Commentaries want to know why the Rambam uses such humongous numbers. The answer is so that by the time you get down to the lowest part of the equation, you can deal with a whole number. Otherwise, you'd be, you'd be dealing with fractions. Chav, 20, moving right along. Beget Shetzvoy, Beklipe Orlo. You have various food peels, like peels of fruit, which also are a source for wonderful dyes, D-Y-E. So what if the dye process came from peels of food of a forbidden tree of Orla? You're benefiting by dyeing. Let's say you're taking a, a, a shirt and you're dyeing it with a forbidden dye. Why is the dye forbidden? comes from the peels of a forbidden tree. It's not that the tree is forbidden, the fruits are forbidden, and these are the fruit peels. Yisoref, you must burn the garment. Yisoref b'acherim. He says here, that this is part of the process of Orla. You're not allowed to benefit from it. What if it gets mixed up with others? Then it could be nullified 200 to 1. So also a cooked dish, which was cooked, in the shells of Orla. Upas and bread, which was baked using the heat. We're talking about heat of shells of Orla. Or shells of Klaya Hakerem. The shells was the heat source. 
Yisarev has to be burned. Hatafshel ba'apas. Sharei haniyosei nikeres mohen. Because the benefit it received from Orla and Klai Akerem is obvious. Yisarevu ba'acherem. But once it gets mixed into others, yalu bi'echadu masayim. You have the 200 to 1 ratio of nullification. Chaim begit sh'arek bay melei asit sh'tzvay ba'orla. So also a garment where you weaved in it a certain measurement called melei asit, two fingers worth. Of Orla, and you do Ezehu, and then you're not sure which one it is. Yala Bechanomasayim, you have the ratio of 200 to 1. Nisarvu, Samne Orla, Bisamane Heter. What if spices of Orla get mixed with regular everyday spices? Yala Bechanomasayim, you have the ratio of 200 to 1. Meitseva, Bemeitseva. But if you have water of dye, which got mixed up in water of dye, this is already the water, which is the second step. The peels made the water. So here, the majority is sufficient. What if you took the oven and you heated it with shells of Orla and shells of Klayakerem, which are forbidden to benefit from? Whether it's a new oven or an old oven, Yutzan, it must first be cooled. You can't use the heat from it. You've got to first cool it. Once it's cooled, then don't worry about it. Now use a permissible fuel to heat it. And if you cooked in it before you cooled it, whether you baked bread in it or you cooked something in it, would be forbidden to benefit from it because the heat came from a forbidden heat source. Yes, because we rule that there is a benefit of the forbidden wood or, or shells in this bread or in this cooked food. But God of his if he first removed all of the fire, and then he used the heat in the oven. The same forbidden heat. And he cooked with the heat or baked with the heat, but the substance of oil or clay, I can't gone. That's fine. Because the forbidden substance is gone, all you're using is heat. Heat is not a forbidden substance. Heat is air. So if you remove the substance, you could use the heat. I, I hope you're taking notes because we're having a test on this. You're talking about somebody who creates dishes, earthenware dishes, and he makes plates, cups, pots, and bottles. And he cooked them. He heated them up. He readied them using peels, using shells of Orla as a heat source. These may not be benefited from. Because what made them new, what made them to be usable new vessels, what made them is a forbidden substance, Orla. However, here you have an interesting rule. Bread that was cooked or baked on coals of the wood of the peels of Orla. Muteris, it's permissible. Why? Because once whatever that substance was 
was transformed into coals. Coals are no longer peels or wood. Then the prohibition is now gone. Because a coal is just heat. So there is no substance of prohibition. Even though they're red hot. It doesn't matter. Because it's only a coal. A coal is no longer recognizable as the forbidden object. A dish, a pot, which was cooked with shells of Orla, with a heat source of shells of Orla, or or and then they added a permissible wood heat source as well. So you had forbidden and permissible. The cooked food is still forbidden. Even though, wait a minute, there was the forbidden heat source which contributed, and there was a permissible heat source that contributed. Because at the time that it was being cooked with the forbidden heat substance, with the forbidden fuel, the forbidden one, I'm sorry, at the time you were using the, the forbidden one, the permissible wood had not yet been contributed. So you can't say that there are two substances which contributed, because one came first, you can say part of it was cooked with forbidden, part of it was cooked with permissible. Obviously, if they came together, then the fact that there's a dual substance here will probably permit it. What if a plant or a twig of Orla became mixed into many twigs and many plants? Or also, similarly, in the laws of the mixed uh, wheat and vineyard, they usually refer to it as a row of Klayakerem. It works with rows. The vines work in rows. So this is a row which was mixed with wheat kernels. So now, what if the row got mixed into a lot of rows? You know, I have no idea which row is which row. <coughs> then to begin with, one may gather this produce. What is the ratio of this prohibition, 200 to 1. If there was 200 permissible to forbidden, now the entire pile of harvested stuff, collected stuff, is permissible. But if it was less than the required ratio, then the entire pile of stuff that was gathered is forbidden. Why did they permit him to gather it to begin with? Wouldn't it be the law that it should all be forbidden until he removes the sapling or the row that is forbidden? The answer is because he doesn't know which one it is. Because you can bet your bottom dollar. You can be sure. No one is going to disqualify a whole vineyard with one sapling. Had he known he would remove it. The only reason he's doing this is because he doesn't know. Segwaying into a whole different realm here, and that is powerful ingredients, 
that cause cheese to be made. How do you make cheese? You think the dairy department in, in your supermarket makes the cheese? It's a process. They use rennet. It's a whole process. And this rennet is a dober hamamid. It's a very powerful ingredient. Hamamid gvino bisraf pagayorlo. What if somebody makes cheese happen and it's used, to, it improves the cheese using a syrup of the fruit, which is orla. <clears throat> you have the sap of a tree, which improves this cheese. Or, he uses the stomach of an animal that was offered to idolatry. So here we have the orla prohibition, or the idolatry prohibition. Or, wine vinegar used for idol worship, or by an idolater, Harezu Asura Bahanoya, all of these are forbidden to have any benefit from. Even though it's a species, not in its species, even though it's just poquito, just a little bit. Why goes back to our earlier category, categorization. Because the forbidden substance is is recognizable, and that's what made it cheese. That powerful substance was what created the cheese. The law of Orla, which is fruits of the first three years of a tree, or the mixed substance of grain and vines, the law of their fruit, it has to be burned. And the liquid which cannot be burned, should be buried. Because it's not practical to burn liquid. Therefore, the liquid has to be buried. And he brings down here that the expression in the verse is pentukdash. And our sages say tukdash, which means hallowed, could also be read pentukdash. Tukad Eish, burned in fire. That the way to rid ourselves of this forbidden substance of Orla and Klai Hakerem is Tukad Eish. Chav Ches 28, We learned earlier about the prohibition of wine, which was used for wine libation to idol worship. What if this wine became mixed with other wine? It's all forbidden to benefit from. This has been covered earlier in great detail. When does this apply? When the permissible wine was poured upon the even drop of forbidden wine. You pour the permissible onto the forbidden. That's when it takes on the characterization of the forbidden. If he used the forbidden wine, used for wine libation, he poured from a little tiny vessel, drop by drop, into a big pit of wine. So he's pouring little, little drops into a large pit of wine, the forbidden into the permissible. Even if he's pouring drops 
all day long. And if you pour drops all day long, you have a lot of volume. Rish and Rish and bottle, every drop that enters is nullified by that large volume of wine in the cistern. However, Ira Minachovis, if he poured from the barrel, whether he is pouring from the permissible to the forbidden, which is certainly a problem. Even from the forbidden to the permissible, which we just said, if it's a little drop by drop by drop by drop, even all day, it's okay. But if it's a large volume pouring strong, it's forbidden. Because this column of wine descending makes the connection between the forbidden and the permissible. So this flow, this column of wine, is that connection. Whereas the drop, it's, there's no column. The drop goes, and there's nothing. Next drop, nothing. What if just plain wine owned by a idolater, but not necessarily used? For wine libation is mixed up with wine. We learned that even a drop of it is forbidden to drink. It can and should be sold in its entirety to a non-Jew. And he takes the little bit of money for that little bit of wine. And he puts it into the Dead Sea or into another place where he'll never... No one will ever be able to benefit from it. And he can enjoy the rest of it. The rest of the money. So also if a barrel of wine which was poured fell into a bunch of barrels, they're all forbidden to drink, but you may benefit from it so you can sell it. And you take the wine, the, the, you take the, the money of that forbidden barrel to the Dead Sea, when you sell it all to a non-Jew. This applies to idolatrous wine, which was poured before the idol. It also applies to wine that was just owned by the idolater. What about water? Lamed 30... By the way, I don't know if you noticed, but this is a pretty long chapter. Mayim shenisarvubiyayin. It's a good thing I doubled up on my medication. Mayim shenisarvubiyayin, ayayin bimayim, water mixed with wine, or wine mixed with water. What could be the problem with water? It could be idolatrous water. It could be water worshipped as an idol. Benesin tam. You judge by, does it contribute taste? We learned earlier, you call a non-Jewish chef or wine expert, and you say to him, hey, mister, does this taste watery? And that's a ratio of 60 to 1. Because it's one taste in another, one species in another. Wine is not water, and water is not wine. When does this apply? When the permissible liquid fell into the forbidden liquid. But if the forbidden liquid fell into the permissible, 
We learned earlier that that's a good thing. Rishon, Rishon bottle, if it falls in slowly, as it goes in, it becomes nullified slowly. Provided it comes from a small source, drop by drop. It goes poquito, poquito. By the way, says the Rambam, how do you have forbidden water? If somebody worshipped it, if idolaters worshipped their water, it becomes forbidden. Or it was offered, this water was offered to an idol. Lamedal of 31, Be'er Yayin, a cistern of water, of wine, a cistern of wine, where first a pitcher of water fell into a cistern of wine. And then forbidden wine fell into it. So you have three components. Component number one, you have a cistern of wine, a pit of wine. Component number two, you have a pitcher of water which falls into it. Component number three, you have some forbidden wine which falls into that. You imagine that the permissible wine in the cistern, you imagine it's not there. And then you take a ratio between the water which fell in and the wine which fell in. Whether it's possible volume-wise to nullify the taste of the wine. If so, then the water is much, much more on the vatlan, I say, and it can nullify it. What, what are we trying to accomplish here? We're trying to accomplish that wine that falls into wine can't be nullified. Therefore, we're saying make believe the wine wasn't there. Can the water nullify it? If the water can nullify it by sufficient ratio, then we're good. The hakamutter and everything will be for, permissible. Lamed base 32. Yayin Nesach, forbidden wine, Shenofal Aloanovim, which fell on and poured over grapes. You have grapes and you have non kosher wine, forbidden wine, falls on the grapes. What happens? The answer is Yedichim, go wash the grapes. Then with Taurus Bachila, you can even go eat them. Why? Because grapes are sealed and they're not going to absorb. They have shells, they have peels, and they're closed. But but if the grapes were not sealed and closed, if they were split and cut, whether the wine was new wine or old wine, if it contributes a taste in the grapes, which means if it's enough ratio-wise, then the grapes become forbidden to benefit. And if not, then not only can you use them and benefit from them, you can even eat them. Lamed Gimel, what if this forbidden wine fell? I'll go betain him on figs. The figs are permissible. Because here we go into an axiom we learned earlier called no sane, no ten tam live gum, giving bad taste to something. Wine falling on figs doesn't do the figs any good. Lamedawad 34. What if forbidden wine falls on grain? On wheat grain, 
They are forbidden to eat, but permissible to benefit from. The problem is you can't sell this grain to a non-Jew. Because we're concerned that the non-Jew is going to turn around and sell it to a Jew. Because there's no way you can identify this as forbidden grain. So what should he do? He should grind the grain, process the grain, and pass and make bread. Or and sell the bread to an idolater. Not in front of a Jew. Why? Because Jews don't buy bread from idolaters. But they do buy grain. So that the Jews should not buy it from the idolater. Because Jews don't buy bread from idolaters. That's called pas akum. We have to buy bread from a kosher bakery, even when the ingredients are good. Depends on what and where and so on. There are laws involving pas akum, but we have to be very careful with them. Why don't we just see if the wheat grain received the taste of the wine? Because the nature is they'll just draw and the wine is sucked in and there's no way of knowing. And finally, the closing paragraph of chapter 16. Wow. I can't believe I learned the whole thing. Lamed forbidden wine. Shehechmitz, which became sour. What is sour forbidden wine called? Forbidden vinegar. And now it fell into a beer vinegar. Beer vinegar is beer, it's kosher. Even a little bit of this wine vinegar makes the whole beer vinegar no good. Because it's vinegar into vinegar. They're both vinegar. And wine with vinegar. Whether the wine falls into, whether the vinegar falls into the wine. Whether the wine into the vinegar. It's 60 to 1 or taste. End of chapter 16.